0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, September 11, 2016, and the Share ID for Friday, September 9th, 9, is 9067. That's, uh, the Share ID is 9067 for Friday. This morning, A Vision for You presents a personal story of transformation titled Hopelessness to Gratitude. You know, in step one, we're we're confronted with the uh, the truth about our affliction. Um, it's about the uh, the jump from denial to awareness, and uh, we're we're informed that that it's essential that we we admit our powerlessness uh, over food. You know, recognizing that our lives have become unmanageable, and surrender is is essential if we're to recover from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Now, the big book, our basic text, devotes I think it's like about 50 some pages to the first part of the process of surrender, which, you know, by necessity is to admit that we have a problem that that no amount of self will can remedy. And, and the big book begins by describing the physical, mental, and spiritual symptom of our disease. And, you know, Bill Wilson was a, was a hopeless drunk. Um, And in in his story in the big book, he describes uh, one of his escapades where that, you know, the, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. And in the doctor's opinion, Dr. Silkworth spoke of his his first encounter with Bill, and he, and he says, quote, in late 1934, I attended a patient, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. So that, that very same hopeless drunk later experienced a spiritual awakening, as we know, and uh, described the gratitude of the the early pioneers of AA as follows he said the joy of living we really have under pressure and difficulty i've seen hundreds of families set on their feet in the path that really goes somewhere so this was you know an authentic spiritual transformation for many people you know a spiritual transformation of gratitude you know here to speak this morning on her transformation from hopelessness to gratitude is Melissa C. from New York. And Melissa is a devoted, recovered member of the fellowship who is seeking to serve this morning by carrying the message of transformation to us. Welcome, Melissa, good morning. And Melissa, press star one to unmute.
1: Hi, good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I started talking without a (laughs) <laughs> without uh unmuting myself. Um, I am Melissa Say. I am a uh, recovered, um incredibly grateful, compulsive overeater in New York. And um, you know, when uh, I was asked to speak and come up with a title, um yeah, you know, I I didn't really have to think too long, um, because uh hopelessness, you know, was something I knew really well. Um And gratitude is something that I'm getting more and more each day. Um, You know, my hopelessness uh, was quietly growing as I began each new diet and failed. Every time I lost weight only to regain it, my hopelessness grew a bit more. Every time I swore I would just have two cookies only to eat the whole sleeve and then the box, going back for more and more. Until I was sick, um, my hopelessness grew. And each time I swore off the cookies, the candies, the ice cream for good, you know, um, and then gave in to the smallest excuse, um, I grew more hopeless. When I couldn't sit in the seat at a concert or at an amusement park and I needed the seatbelt extender for the airplane, Um, my humiliation and my hopelessness grew. Um, You know, and one of the worst things of all was not sitting in my own kitchen armchair, the chairs in my very own home. Um, That's truly crushing. And yet I was hopeless, you know. I knew I was causing this. I'm smart. (laughs) I knew I was killing myself with food, and yet I could not stop. Um, It was such a sad spot to be in out of control, you know, and no longer having the energy to even care. Um, That's truly hopelessness. And I believed um, at that point that I was just going to continue like this for the remainder of my life um, and destroy it all, you know. Um, I I believe that uh, I was born with this disease, or at least with a pretty good predisposition for it. I am the youngest of five children um my mother was my mother has always been very thin, very disciplined um uh, you know lived with diets in the house all the time. My siblings had no issue with food whatsoever um uh, my father was a little bit overweight, but he came from a family of morbid obesity, and um they were always pointed out to me as a warning, you know my parents would point at my aunt or my uncle and, and warn me, you know. Um and uh, you know, one of the earliest stories about myself that I've heard growing up was that my first words were more. You know, um it I I smile and I laugh, um, because it really just describes me that um I was always wanting more. Um and, you know, the story that I heard was that I would yell from my crib, you know, more, more, more. Um, And my siblings would feed me. They would give me bottles all night long. Um, You know, and that, that, um, (laughs) I've always had an extreme interest in food. You know, my earliest memories are pretty much all food related. Um, I was chubby as a little kid, but certainly within the range of normal looking. Um, When I was about 10 and a half, I would say my chubbiness uh, started to grow <laughs> and, um And that's when I went on my first diet, you know, weight watchers. Uh, I was brought there by my mom, who was always dieting. She was very disciplined, concerned with her appearance and all of our appearances. Appearances um, were very so important in my house. Um, and my mother was wonderful at managing my weight at that point. You know, she made me all the correct meals in the right portions, um and I lost weight. And you know, I even maintained a healthy weight long enough, um, as a young kid to become a lifetime member of Weight Watchers, you know. Um and uh, but my disease, you know, was growing and I was learning lots of tricks. Um I was binging, and sneaking and starving and um but somehow I remained a normal weight until I was fifteen. And at that point you know, my compulsion with food could not be hidden with my tricks, um, and my weight became the source of so much pain for me. Um, you know, I started high school looking normal, um, but by the time I graduated high school, you know, in just four years, I gained a hundred pounds. You know, um, and uh, very painful being like a teenager. Um, in the throes of this disease. You know, I I have a very clear memory of um, sitting on the school bus one day behind some boys, and I overheard them talking about me. You know, they didn't know I was behind them. And I heard them say, what happened to her? You know, she was cute. She's really fat now. Um, and, you know, probably the most painful thing about this was hearing this, yes, yeah? needing to walk past them to get off the bus because my stop was before theirs and, um, knowing that they would know that I heard them. Um, you know, somehow having them know that I heard, um, was actually worse than having had to have heard it. Um, you know, and uh, I would have loved to have said, yep, that was it. That was my bottom. That was my turning point. Um, but you know, there was a lot more suffering for me ahead. Um, there were many more diets and schemes in my future. So much more weight to gain and lose and gain and lose and gain and lose. And, you know, at one point, I would always get really sick of being fat. I would go on a diet. I could follow it perfectly. You know, I was really able to follow a diet perfectly. I could lose some weight, Um, feel just enough better, to believe that I, I got this, you know, I got this thing. I can't control this thing. And then, you know, the day would always come when the reason to eat was good enough. Um, and my diet would be blown with false promises that it was just for today, you know, or just this weekend. And Monday I would get myself back on, you know. But um, those Mondays did not make me any better at managing. Um, and my desire for food was greater than anything else. Um after high school, I went on Optifest. You know, my parents paid a fortune. Um, it was a diet that was through a hospital, and, you know, as an outpatient, but we were medically supervised. Um, I remember that it was thousands of dollars. And um, we starved our way down the scale, you know, with three shakes a day. Um, and, uh, you know, My mom had always been my food warden ever since I was little. And although she meant well, um, I know she really had my best interest at heart. That message that I got, you know, from my mother, yes, and from the world was, um, you're not good enough, you know. And I became a sneak eater at a really young age. I spent many nights um, creeping quietly into the kitchen. Um, You know, I think I was always an insomniac, you know. Um, because I could eat at night, you know, no one could catch me, and I would eat in the dark, I wouldn't turn the light on, I'd eat in front of the refrigerator, I always start out with sneaking just a little taste, you know, I cut a sliver of cake at a time, Um, but truly unable to stop myself, and, you know, the embarrassment of having to hear my family the next morning searching. For things, um, you know, that they swore there was a cake in the refrigerator last night. There was just an, a new box of cookies. Um, they were just there the day before, and, and now it was, they were gone, you know, because I had to get rid of the box, too. You know, I became really creative at destroying evidence of things, um, you know, and during my teen years, I did I did find drugs and alcohol, but um, it wasn't really my favorite life, you know. I think I I really enjoyed getting high and drunk um, because I knew that everyone would get the munchies after. You know, it made what I needed to do with the food more acceptable. Um, I'd get drunk with friends, and I knew the pizza would follow. And that's what I was really wanting, you know. And uh, so, you know, when I went on this medical fast, um, I did lose weight. I went away to college. Um, and I continued somewhat following this plan, um, but I could smoke pot to get relief. You know, I I went away to school. I fasted myself down about forty pounds, but at that point I was smoking. I was getting stoned every day, and I failed out of school my freshman year. You know, I had to re- and I returned home, um, completely in shame, head first into the food. Um, I had to go to a community college. I was. Extremely depressed. Uh, my life at that point was getting high and binging, and going to school. Um, I was able to connect with some friends locally that I could hang out and get high and drunk with. But you know, I was just dying to get out of my parents' house. And uh, my siblings are older; they were all married with children. And um, and I, it was painful to live with my parents' disappointment in me. You know. My, I remember them saying to me, you know, when I failed out of school, I never would have expected that from you, of all my kids, you know, um, because I was smart, you know, it was beneath me to fail out, and um, and I soothed myself at this point, you know, with gallons of ice cream, um, and I worked to get the grades I needed to get me back into a good school, Um, and this time when I went away, you know, I was able to control my partying, you know, why? Because. You know, I'm not a drug addict. That doesn't seem to be my addiction. Um, I could learn from a consequence in that area. You know, this is very different from my food addiction, though. Um, I have no ability to learn when it comes to food and eating. I didn't know it then, but, you know, I was already way over my head. I was way past the point of being able to stop on my own. Um, I can't learn from my pain and, um, you know, it was going to take me a lot more, a lot more suffering, a lot more expe- experimenting um, for me to drive that point home. And, you know, the rest of my college years, I formed friendships. Um, you know, I always did. I was a good friend. And although I isolated with the food, I was kind of able to get away with it at this time. You know, you could kind of be, you could flake out a bit in college, you could cancel plans at the last minute because, um, You know, I was too sick from a binge or nothing fit or I couldn't stand how I looked, um, so I wouldn't show up. And this was kind of acceptable, you know, at that point in my life because most of my friends were pretty irresponsible. You know, they had boyfriends that they would drop me for, um, but I had my lover, the food. You know, I lived um, in college in a house with a bunch of girls, and, um, you know, we could walk to town uh, to get pints of Ben and Jerry's ice cream and um they would eat a portion and put theirs in the refrigerator in the freezer um and i would finish mine in one sitting you know that was nothing um and uh you know one night though i got up in the middle of the night and i finished three of my housemates ice cream you know i, I starting with just a spoon of each at a time until all three of theirs were gone and um I had to walk into town that night in the middle of the night in the dark alone, you know, to a a gas station, um, the only thing that was open, to try to find the flavors that they had, you know, and I had to um, not only replace them, but then eat them down to about the level where they had been, you know. Um, These were the crazy things that I did with the food, you know. Um, When I graduated college, I was 280 pounds. Um, although I had a 4.0, my life was a mess. You know, my friends started getting married. They were getting good jobs. Um, Some even were having babies. Um, But I was um, was still a baby. You know, I was, yeah, returning home with a degree and a major food addiction. Um, I didn't have the ability to go out and get a good job. You know, I was too um, sick. And, uh, you know, so I came home um, and I worked, you know, a child that was definitely beneath my education at that point. Um, You know, for my 23rd birthday, I was living at home. My friends um, had invited me to go out, but I canceled. You know, I was complaining of a stomachache. But the truth is, uh, my parents are in Florida. I had the house to myself, and I wanted to spend the day eating. That's what I wanted to do for my birthday. You know, I had this huge binge plan. Um, I bought all my favorite high-fat, high, high sugared foods, and I ate the day away. Um, but by the end of the day, I was, you know, I was sick for real, um, but I was so down on myself. Um, I thought that there was, like, a real sadness in this life and that, um, the binging was growing far more important than living, um, that I needed food at that point more than I needed friends, um, that cookies were my companions, um, and I had this flash of reality. Um, I was so lonely, and um, and I was causing my loneliness, you know? Um, it was me. I had no romantic relationship, um, but I had a string of low-maintenance, um, male friends that I could kind of hang out with um, and I wanted a boyfriend. You know, I wanted a job I loved. I wanted peace from the food. Um, I had heard at, at, about Overeaters Anonymous um, because there was a woman um, in my, in, in not too far from where I lived to own this boutique um, where my mother shopped and she lost a tremendous amount of weight. And um, my mother came home one day telling me about, you know, oh my God, this you know, she went on this diet and um and she told me, you know, it's this OA thing and, you know, but she said that, uh would you believe she told me that she used to eat uh, a box of donuts in one sitting. You know, I remember my mother told me this, kind of laughing. And I thought, um, are you kidding? <laughs> you mean there's someone else that does what I do? You know, I, I often think about this particular woman and how um, she carried the message unbeknownst to her, to me. You know, she told my mother, um, who clearly never looked like she needed the rooms of her way. Um and I do think about that today when people ask me, um, I am not secretive about what I do. I don't I try not to make judgments about whether they need to hear the message or not. Um, because you never know who they're sharing it with, you know. Um And so at this point in this crazy birthday binge, um, I started thinking about LA, you know, and I, and I was like, Oh, I'm going to find this OA thing. You know, um, I'm going to get myself in check and I'm going to get to this OA place. Um, You know, but at the end of that day, um, my brother and my sister-in-law dropped by with the kids and they had brought me a birthday cake and, um, And I ate a slice, no matter, my stomach was killing me, but I ate a slice. Um, And after they left, I finished the cake, you know, Um, and I I comforted myself because after all, I was going to do something about my weight and eating soon, you know, that thought comforted me and um, it was enough of a reason why it was okay to go right on eating. You know, the truth is, I only thought that I was calling the shot. I thought I had a choice. I did not know about my powerlessness. Um, I didn't know I was truly hopeless. You know? For me, it took another month of binging. I kept thinking about driving to this woman's shop um, and asking her about OA, but I couldn't get up to nerve. Um, and then one day, I was um, at a friend's house, and her parents said that um, they were trying out a new diet. Um, and they asked me if I wanted to go and, um, I said, yeah, okay, I'll come. And I walked in, it was an early meeting. You know, I walked into that first meeting, um, and I knew that I was home. I knew I belonged here. I saw some people who talked about doing all the things that I had been doing my whole life with food. Um, this particular meeting was a how meeting. Um, and, uh, and they were serious there, you know, as far as food was concerned. Um, I was handed a great sheet food plan, um, a list of questions and the big book, you know, uh, funny enough, the couple that brought me back that brought me that never came back, you know, um, um, but I, at that point, um, I have to say I was Definitely separated from my binge foods. There, I followed that gray sheet like my life depended on it, um, and I had recovery. You know, I had some recovery. I, I lost um, like over 130 pounds in a crazy short amount of time. Left. I think like in eight or nine months, I was, I had lost all my weight. Um, I swore off chocolate and cookies and chips and pizza for good. Um, I got thin. <laughs> I got a boyfriend who later I married. I got myself on track. I got a good job. That's how I felt. I, 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 I thought I was doing it. You know, there was no spiritual transformation for me here. I, I somehow missed all that, you know. I'm sure that there were other people in that room who were transformed, but I wasn't one of them, you know. I didn't sponsor. I didn't even want to remember being that. you know. I wanted to be a thin person without this disease. Um, I don't know how I stayed away from the food Um, because I stopped going to meetings. I stopped speaking to anyone in that fellowship. um, But I did stay away from the food until my honeymoon. Uh, You know, on page 32 and 33 in the chapter more about alcoholism, it says um, then he fell victim to a belief which practically every alcoholic has that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as um, other men, you know. And then in 33, it says, most of us have believed that if we remain sober for a long enough stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. You know, but here's a man who was at 55 years down he was just where he had left off at 30. We've seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Um, and commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we're in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind. Or any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. You know, for me, there wasn't a cloud on the horizon. I picked up um on my honeymoon, you know, um I I started, um, eating again on my honeymoon, crazy. I, first, um, it was with the fruity, alcoholic, tropical drink. Um, I said, Hey, it was my honeymoon, you know, and then I went to the frozen chocolatey drink. Um, and then it was right to the food. And by the end of the week of my honeymoon, nothing fit me. All the clothes that I had bought for my honeymoon, nothing fit. Um, And um, I promised myself that as soon as we got home, I'd get right back on my food plan. But I couldn't, you know, I could not do it. The willpower that I had relied on to keep me away from the food for five plus years was gone. You know, I simply, I could not do it. And I tried returning to meetings, but I really thought I knew it all. You know, I didn't want to do any work. I wanted to just get my food in check. Um, so I went, at that point, I went on every diet that was out there, again, Weight Watchers, MetaFast, Atkins, the, the Cabbage Soup Diet, you know, I loved that one, because you could, um, go to the bathroom and lose a lot of weight. Um, you know, I, I even took 10 you know, um, but nothing worked anymore, you know, and by, um, our first anniversary, I gained 50 pounds, and, By the time, a few years later, that I was pregnant with my daughter, I regained all the weight that I had lost, you know. Um, I started my pregnancy with my daughter uh, weighing 280 pounds, and when she was born, I was over 300 pounds. Um, You know, my confidence was shattered. I was so disgusted with myself, um, and I was embarrassed for my husband. I felt um, like I was um, an embarrassment to him. I felt like people had to be staring at us, you know, wondering, what is this good-looking guy married to to such a fat person? Um, I couldn't say seeing friends and family, you know. Um, I remember um, going to visit my parents in Florida and getting on the plane um, and uh, getting off the plane. They hadn't seen me in months. and I saw their faces. They they looked like they'd been punched. They couldn't believe. um, I saw it. You know, they didn't say anything yet when I got off the plane, um, but I saw the expression on their face. And um, so it was painful being in front of other people. Um, I did get lectured. I got lectured from my parents and my siblings. Um, It seemed like everybody had something to say, and all their words only made me want to eat more, you know. Um, and then for, for us, tragedy really hit, um, between the birth of my daughter, um, and my son, you know, my two children that are here and alive today, um, I had six of the worst years. I suffered, uh, three late term pregnancy losses, you know, very late, late enough that I was clearly pregnant, that everybody knew I was pregnant, um, that I was showing. Um and uh and having lost was that late, um the only thing I could do to soothe myself was to eat. You know, I just did not have any other ideas. Um, you know, for me, to be honest, the food still worked. You know. Yeah, there were physical consequences and they were obvious. But um I was still able to get numb. You know, I wasn't licked yet. And um, you know, and then I became pregnant, um, with our son Sawyer and all seemed like it was going all right this time. Um, my pregnancy seemed like everything was fine. I passed the point that I had lost the other babies at. Um, and then I had an infection, and I went into early labor. And they tried to stop my labor, um, but they couldn't. And my son was born prematurely, and this beautiful baby, um, he lived for a day. And then he died. And, um, you know, and when he died, so did any lingering beliefs I had in God. Um, I remember praying so hard that day. I was begging God to give me what I wanted. And I felt abandoned and cursed. And, you know, for me, the only thing I could do was eat. I was seizing, um, just seething with jealousy. You know, my best friend um, had her fourth child. My sister had her fifth baby. Uh, One of my brothers had a fourth child. My other two had three. It seemed like everybody was getting what I wanted, what I deserved. I felt, you know, I was so pissed and nobody could say the right thing to me. You know, I was walking around um, offended all the time. Um, I had a list of the nasty um, thoughts I had. I had a list of the ways that people did me wrong at that point. Um, But I would put on this fake smile. You know, I'd go to work each day. Um, I'd go through the motions, and I'd come home to my food. You know, in fact, I was drunk on food all of the time. I had um, candy in my car, in my closet at work, hidden in my night table. Um, I would go to McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts for breakfast on my way to work um i'd order donuts for my class um and i'd never have it to get out by the time i got to school um i would buy ice cream on the way home from work and boxes of cookies and um, most of the time i had to throw the boxes you know this nice environmentally friendly girl was throwing garbage at the window on the highway um you know, because I wanted I not want my family to see the evidence. And um, you know, my steering wheel was sticky in my car. Um I I but I threw myself uh into acting like a good mom and wife. You know, I put on the act. Um I don't know that I was fooling anyone though. You know, it's hard to fool people when you're walking around like that. Um and uh you know, what a miracle though somehow I was able to safely have another child. Um, I have my, my I have two children today. My son was born, um, and it was a terrible pregnancy though. I was on bed rest, um, the entire pregnancy. I was medically monitored. I had gestational diabetes. I had to um inject myself with a tributalin um pump every day, um, to keep off labor. Um you know, somehow you know, my son was born beautiful and healthy, and, uh, but I was still grieving. You know, everybody else thought, um, or I got the message from everybody else that, hey, what are you sad for now? You have two kids. Um, but I could not get over the death of my other son. You know, nobody seemed to understand, um, but I don't think I was approachable. You know, when you put on your fake smile, um, who's going to approach you? You know, I, I went out and I did what... I didn't what to do, Yeah, I grew up um, with the message, hide what you find unpleasant. Denial um, was like my best friend, you know. Um, Even today, you know, my mother, I love her. God bless her, you know. She's 80 years old, um, but she says things like, oh, no one wants to hear me complain, you know, about herself. You know, my mother has a best friend who lost two children, Um, one committed suicide. She has another, uh, uh, the same woman lost a teenage granddaughter. You know, my mother will will kind of brag saying in a way that um, she went to lunch with her friend, but they don't talk about their problems because, uh, you know, who wants to talk about their problems? Uh, What's there to say? You know, so that's kind of how I grew up. Um, So, you know, when my heart was breaking, I just didn't talk about it. You know, I suffered in silence. I put on my lipstick like a like a good girl. I wore a smile. And I ate ice cream, you know. I spent a lot of time sitting on the couch, um, having my kids and my husband get me things. Uh, you know, that was like my command center. Um, the stairs were malavorous. Uh My knees hurt all the time. I, you know, the physical consequences, I slept terribly. I, I would snore myself awake in the middle of the night. Um, I could lie in bed at night feeling my heart pounding in my ears and I was sure that I was gonna have a stroke. You know, I was terrified of dying, um, on one hand. I was sure, um that I was gonna drop dead, that I was gonna leave my children motherless, and yet I could not stop eating. you um, know, uh my mother in law actually um, sat me down one day and um When you talk about fraught the emotional appeal, felt insufficing, Um, my mother-in-law sat me down and um, she cried to me, telling me that um, her mother died when she was a little girl and, you know, and that my husband left his dad at seven and um, how painful it is for children to grow up without a parent and that she was terrified that I was going to do this to her grandchildren. She felt like I was killing myself, um, you know, for a normal eater or a heavy eater, those words would have snapped you into reality, but um, it didn't, you know, it didn't do that for me. In, in fact, um, it made me uh, resent her, you know, I was annoyed with her saying this. Um, it was painful to hear, but it didn't get me to stop, you know. Um, at that point, I began to have problems uh, medically. I needed to have a hysterectomy. And, um, you know, my gynecologist, uh, um, one of my visits took my blood pressure, and he made me promise that I would go straight to my primary care doctor because my blood pressure was out of control. It was dangerously high, and he wasn't even going to schedule an operation, which I really needed, until my pressure was addressed. Um and I knew it was my weight, you know. It was my eating that was causing this. Um, I wanted to live, but I truly couldn't stop, you know. And crazy as it sounds, on the way from this doctor's office to the other doctor, um, I went through a drive through you know. Um, and, and then I ran into the convenience store for something sugary because in my head this was my last hurrah, you know. Of course, when I went to my primary care doctor, he had harsh words for me. You know, um, besides putting me on medication, he warned me that I was going to die from my fat. You know, that being morbidly obese, um, and that was the word he used, was putting a strain on all of my organs, and that uh, if I didn't have a stroke, that it would be a heart attack, or kidney and liver failure. You know, diabetes was in my future. And um I only had to think about the aunt and uncle that I had been warned about all my life because both of them, you know, were gone now. Um, they had long since been gone. Um and and the disease of obesity and probably compulsive overeating was, was really the root, um, killed them. You know, they were they were gone. Um so it, it was real, you know. Um he told me this doctor said to me that the only solution was gonna be surgery for me. That I must have the gastric bypass because I needed to lose weight and there was no other way that I was going to be able to do it. And, uh, you know, I left that his office that day with a referral for the doctor. And um, I came home and I felt so bad. But um, the thought of surgically fixing myself, that kind of gave me a little excitement because I loved the idea of a miracle cure. Um, so I sat that night at the computer researching what the surgery entailed. Um, because somehow I was thinking, oh, they'll do this surgery and my hysterectomy in one self swoop, um, and uh, um, you know, and then by the grace of God, I stumbled upon some horror stories, you know, some disastrous outcomes, and um, one story in particular really, I think, saved me from having tried this. You know, there was a um, a woman who um this, who um had said that she did the surgery she had initially lost weight and then discovered that she could still eat ice cream. And I thought, Oh crap, now I know that I'm gonna be able to eat ice cream and um and I knew that I would do it. You know, and um and uh and then somehow on this internet search OA flashed in my mind. You know, I knew from all those years ago that I had a food addiction. I really did know this all along. I found myself searching for meetings in my area and I found one. And this time when I came to OA, you know, I was beaten to a state of reasonableness. I came into that meeting and I just sobbed. You know, I could barely make eye contact, but everybody there welcomed me. You know, I, and I was amazed to hear the person sharing, tell about the candy she stole, the way she ate, the things that. She did, and that she wasn't living this way anymore. Um, and at the end of the meeting, someone walked over to me and gave me a hug and asked me when I wanted to start. And uh, when did I want to put the food down? And, you know, out of my mouth came the words right now. <laughs> I-, I think God was at work then because as soon as I said it, I thought, oh, it's Saturday. You know, I don't start on a Saturday. I need a couple more days with food. I, I wanted to get another binge in. I really wanted to start on Monday. But the crazy thing is, once I said it, it, it was like I surrendered. You know, um, that was six years ago. And although I did have a 10-month relapse in between, that was the day, though, that my desire for ice cream, candy, cookies, um, baked goods was removed you know it it was truly God coming in and meeting me where I was um, I began working my recovery then and although I had some recovery on weight loss and relief, I still was not recovered you know I didn't know enough about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind I was still playing around with some of my alcoholic foods um, I was dieting with group support. I wasn't really looking at the big book, You know, I was still relying on my self-will rather than complete surrender, um, and I had not connected with the higher power. You know, so it was no surprise that I relapsed. Um, And and once again, you know, on vacation with my husband, I picked up a frozen tropical drink. You know, you would have thought that (laughs) all the years earlier where that led me, but I did it again, you know, and it opened me up to 10 months of a relapse. Um, and uh, at that point, I was too ashamed to go to meetings. You know, if I wasn't in the I didn't want to go, you know. So I wasn't doing it perfectly, I didn't want to play um, because I was so full of my ego. You know, and in those 10 months, um, I began to have panic attacks. Um, I'd be driving to work and my whole body would shake. I was terrified of everything. Um, something was going to happen to me, my kids, my husband. I kept feeling like I was floating outside of myself. Um, and I tried so hard, uh, to stop my mind from its runaway thoughts. Um, you know, but the more I tried, it got worse, the worse it got. And, um, and so now I found myself binging on, um, my once safe foods. You know, I used to have, um, I used to be able to measure out some shredded wheat cereal. For, you know, it wasn't a problem for years and years. But um, now I was shoving it in my mouth um, because that crunch and fullness was like all I could focus on. And, you know, my mouth was all cut up inside. My gums would shoot up. I, I had this lump of a pain in my stomach. Um, and I somehow was thinking maybe it was a tumor. You know, it was bloatedness. It was it was fullness from the cereal. Um and um those panic attacks turned out to be the greatest gift because it was then that the food stopped working completely. Um and I knew I was screwed, you know. Um and one day my husband and I we walked into a home improvement store over because he decided he's gonna renovate the bathroom. And um lo and behold I see someone from my fellowships on my only meeting. Um, and, um, you know, I normally, I would have hid and went down another aisle. I thought I looked like I gained weight. I don't want to see anybody. But I didn't hug. You know, I walked right over to her. And um, she gave me a hug. And she handed me her phone number and said, call me. You know, and I did. And I asked her to help me. Uh, You know, and this time I meant it. I didn't interview her. I didn't ask her how was she going to sponsor me. You know, I just said, help me. Um, And I took the help. Um, You know, I think what it was was I didn't want to help losing weight. You know, yes, of course I wanted to lose weight, you know. But this time I wanted help with my thinking, you know. My faith had always been on my ability to think and see things as they were, but now I knew my thinking was not reliable. You know, my panic attacks were telling me that. um, I needed to put my faith into something greater. I needed access to this higher power that people talked about. And this particular woman that I went to, I knew she was really um, connected to a higher power. She talked about God all the time. This was someone I would have run from before you know, um, and she um, told me about phone meetings, you know, and I began to listen to this vision meeting. Um, And the incredible, beautiful thing about this meeting is it is exactly during my morning commute, you know, that same commute that filled me with terror. Um, I now, I get in the car, I hear the 12 steps as I'm getting in the car, and i 'm parking my car at work just about the time that we 're at the serenity prayer at the end of the first hour, you know, and um, and it was here in the vision that I first heard someone say that they were recovered, you know, and this got my attention um, before this, I was hopeless. you know I thought I would be struggling with this for the rest of my life. you know um, Someone shared at one of my first vision meetings about um, this dragon that she was at war with, and that sometimes the dragon won, and sometimes she won. Um, but that being recovered means that the dragon no longer exists in her kingdom. It, it's been banished, and she doesn't fight at all. And 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 that just wowed me. You know, in all my years, the notion of living free from this dragon of my addiction. It wasn't even a dream I dared to dream. I didn't even know that that was a possibility. So I began to listen, you know, right here on this line with complete open-mindedness. I heard such a strong message there um, that I decided I was going to believe what these recovered folks had to say. You know, I was told, read the big book um, and believe it as the truth. And I was pointed to the doctor's opinion. You know, this is something I never would have read before because, hell, it, was, um, it wasn't it was even on page one. It was before page one. You know, but the last paragraph of the doctor's opinion says, um, I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through, and though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. You know, and so I read this without the prejudice I once had. Um, you know, um, it was not a book, this was not a book about old drunk men, like I thought. you know it was about me. Um, I worked the steps with the intensity of a dying man. I stopped interviewing anybody that would help me. You know, I stopped looking to bend the plan so it fit my life, and I allowed the steps to reform my life. You know this time, step one was easy for me because I knew I was beat, I knew I was done. There was deny- no denying that I was lift. Um, but step two initially was more difficult. You know, a belief in God seemed out of my grasp. You know, I felt for so long that God either didn't exist or didn't care much about me. You know, I used um, the death of my son as evidence to support this notion. I was reassured that here, though, that all that was required was an admission that I needed something more powerful than me. And I could do that, you know. I I only needed to make the smallest approach, and God found me where I was, you know. I bristled at the word God, and here in this book, I was greeted with many names, many other names that I liked for this power, you know. On page 46, it says, um, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God, Um, our own conception however inadequate, um, was sufficient to make the approach and to respect the contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of the creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. We found that God does not make too hard turns with those who seek him to us the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly speak. It is open, we believe, to all men. You know, and so I had the realization that my higher power could simply be for me the opposite of my lowest weakness, you know. I knew what my lowest weaknesses were. That was easy to define for me. That was easy for me to understand. You know that were those were the things that had been killing me. You know it was destroying me, and um, yet here I was, still alive, um, still breathing. No matter how bad I felt, I was still clinging to life, and I was still somehow hopeful that I could recover. Because after all, I was here. I was listening. You know, and this to me was a glimmer of God. You know, Um, I then slowly realized. You know, loss and death. Yes, unfair if it happened, you know, for me in the order that it did, but it's part of the human experience. Um, you know, and although my prayers for my son, they were worthy, you know, my my wishes were good in nature, um, but it was immature to think that God, you know, would have me circumvent the human cycle of life and death, you know. Um and this could no longer be used as evidence of God's non-existence, you know. Perhaps God was there all along and the people who were still here with me, you know. My friend who I was so jealous of when she had her fourth child, I had to remember that she was the first one here with dinner for my family when I lost my son, you know. that she sat and cried with me. Um, you know, my siblings... They were the ones who handled all the arrangements for his funeral. You know, my sister gave the eulogy. Somehow, you know, I forgot that. You know, somehow this disease blinded me from that truth. And um, this was where grief and self-pity differ. You know, self-pity kept me from accepting the comfort from the people that loved me. You know, and um, it just no longer seemed like an option, not if I wanted to truly recover. And so I went from a state of hopelessness to gratitude. You know, I went somehow from poor me then to why not, why me, you know, and then to, I don't know, why not me, and eventually to lucky me, you know. The steps gave me a brand new view on my life, um, on my purpose, you know. Life is nothing, and it's painful, and it's beautiful, and it's miraculous, you know. I used to roll my eyes when people said they were grateful for this disease. You know, um, I hate people when they said that. Um, I, you know, especially people that were thin, you know. Um, and yet today, this is exactly how I feel. You know, um, I'm in a normal body today. It is not perfect. Um, but I'm so grateful that I got so fat, and that I got so frightened, and that I got so hopeless. You know, because it led me to a life greater than my wildest dreams. Um, I love the way the fourth step freed me from the jealousy and anger I walked around with. It has allowed every relationship to improve. You know, I'm not feeding with jealousy for the people who got what I thought I deserved. Um, I'm not pissed off at my mother for teaching me to hide my pain. You know, she loves me. She loves me. Um... I think she did the best she could, you know, she loved me in the only way she knew, you know, and today, I'm capable of cultivating the mother and daughter relationship I craved by living the immense I Um I have gratitude for my husband, who never said much about my weight. Every now and then, he would say something so carefully. Um, you know, she loved me when I was 300 pounds, and he loves me today, you know, now that I'm I'm 140 pounds lighter, I believe, because I haven't gotten on the scale in a while. But, um, you know, this man, my husband, just like me, he also lost our son. You know, I asked him to forgive me for never taking his grief into consideration. You know, I so selfishly thought I was the only one suffering. And I'm grateful once again that my weight problem, turned out to be the very thing that brought me to finally pay attention to the family that I was taking for granted. You know, I'm quick to say today that I'm happy I got so fat. You know, morbid obesity was a gift because it became crystal clear that I have fatal malady that required treatment. And today, I continue to work this program with all the intensity of a dying person. You know, so what does that mean? What does it mean to be intensely working a program? Um, It means for me that I am as committed to my abstinence today, you know, as that very day that I said I give up. You know, that day when I said I'll do anything, help me, help me, I have to have that same spirit of intensity. You know, for me this means that every morning, regardless of how busy I am or where I am, if I'm on vacation or if I'm home, I wake up and I connect with my higher power. I begin my day reading the big book. I pray for direction and the ability to be of service and write down my food right after I connect with God. Um, because I believe that if ever God could correct direct me in my food choice, it's the time when I'm most receptive to direction is right after prayer. Um, and for me, you know, I don't change when I said I would eat unless it's an emergency. Because I know that if I do then I'm, I'm taking my will back. Um, I work my 12th step. Um, I know that I've been given this gift of recovery, and I have no choice but to share it. Yes, my program takes up a lot of time, but, you know, the choice is this or go back to the food. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm so grateful to have a message that I could share with you all today. Thank you so much. And um, with this, I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Melissa, thank you so much for your, your powerful story of transformation. Um, Melissa's contact information will be provided at the conclusion of the, uh, the recorded portion. And so now we're gonna transition over to the, the question and answer um, portion of the program. So who would like to ask a question of Melissa? Press star one to unmute your phone.
2: Hi, this is Andy in Virginia.
0: Andy, who else? Okay, well, let's get started with Andy, and we'll go from there. Andy, you're up.
2: Thank you so much, everyone, and uh, thank you for all your service, Larry, Leah. uh, Thank you to the speaker. I was at convention, um, and, and I got up. I'm new, and I have been working with a sponsor. And my question is, is that you started to talk about getting up in the middle of the night. I wondered... If getting up in the middle of the night and doing night eating continued with you into your familial years and when you, when you had now your own offspring um, and, uh, and then found the program, or was that something that ceased to, to exist with you? Thank God, with the grace of God, I've had abstinence through working with a Vision for You sponsor. But uh, I'd just would like to hear more about that. Thank you, everyone, and I'm going to mute now.
1: Yeah. Hi, Angie. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Um, you know, um, insomnia, I think, has, you know, has on and off plagued me for a long time. Um, but I do not eat um, any longer when I wake up in the middle of the night. Um, you know, I um, for me, um, part of my abstinence, my definition of abstinence in my food plan is dinner is it. You know, I don't eat after dinner, um, and, um, I do sometimes wake up in the middle of the night, and, um, my sponsor had, um, helped me recognize that, um, that might be God looking to connect with me. You know, I can be so busy all day long that I, um, forget sometimes to pause and listen, and oftentimes when I'm awoken in the middle of the night, um, it's because there's some residual thought that um, needs addressing. And, um, you know, and the other thing that happened for me is I discovered that I'm a really early riser. I didn't know that, you know, and so waking up at 4.15, 4. 30 might be insomnia for other people. But crazy for me, that's when my day starts. So I get up now. Um, and uh, thank you. I hope that answers your question
0: thanks andy who else has a question for melissa
3: this is, this is katie g from boston excuse me larry sorry
0: oh no problem katie who else okay we'll, we'll go with you katie and then we'll move on from there katie
3: thanks larry katie G recovered compulsive reader anorexic and bulimic and melissa what a what a privilege to hear your story today My direct question is, I just was hoping you could talk a little bit. I mean, clearly you've had a tremendous journey in OA and was hoping you could talk about like what keeps things fresh and active and vibrant and and surrendered for you in terms of helping you stay humble and out of the food. What do you think is your, um, I mean, obviously there's no whatever secret, but Melissa, what's your secret? What helps you every day to keep it fresh, vibrant, and new, and uh, and humble and surrendered? You can choose one of those words. <laughs> thank okay. you.
1: Thanks, thank you, Katie J. Um, yeah, oh, that's such a good question. Um, you know, I I love this vision. I love this vision meeting. I think this is key. You know, I um I get up every morning. I um I read the big book. I I pre-read what, you know, a paragraph or two about what we're going to be focusing on that day. I do a little bit of writing about it. um, And uh, I get on the line here and I share and I listen. Um, And the other thing I think that really keeps it fresh for me is um, carrying the message, living that 12th step. um, Intensive work with newcomers. people. call and ask for help, and I have to say yes. You know, I need to be in close contact um, with um, with the pain of the disease, you know, so that I don't forget. I think that really keeps it fresh for me. Thank you.
0: Thanks for the question, Katie. Uh, anyone else have a question for Melissa? Press star one to to. Un- Linda un- R. Linda R. Okay. okay, got Linda. Anybody else? Jenny. Uh um, Jenny. Bria Lafayette. And Bria. Anybody else? Jan. I've got Jan. It's like romper room. got Linda, I see Jenny and Bria and Jan. <laughs> okay, Linda, you're up. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Larry. Thank you so much. And uh Linda are recovered in North Carolina. And thank you, Melissa, for your gut level, you know, share today. My question to you is, you know, with the spiritual part of program, your program, when you lost your son, I want you to just share, like, your spiritual void or, you know, what you went through with your belief in a higher power and how you have cultivated and restored that faith in something greater than yourself, even though, you know, you did have that tremendous loss. (sighs) Oh, yeah. Thank thank you Linda. Um you know at that point I had no I had no faith. You know when it happened I did not have a program of recovery. I had no spiritual foundation and um you know all I had was was the food and pain and um you know I, how how have I made sense of it or you know come to to find a higher power um you know, my lens changed. The, the working steps of the program, um, my my perspective miraculously changed. It didn't happen overnight. It was a slow evolution, a slow change. Um, but I suddenly, it was like, I suddenly was able to get a really good view of all the things that I did have. Yes, it was awful, you know, and, and if I think about it, so, you know, I, I it is awful, it's a terrible loss, but you know, um and, and I and I did say, you know, why me, why me, why me? Um and then I realized, you know, I never asked that question when my daughter was born healthy. You know, I have a beautiful teenage daughter today, strong and beautiful and bright. And my son my son that's living today too, my nine year old son also, beautiful, bright, strong intelligent, I never said why me when those things happened, you know, and so really the spirituality of my program kind of got me to, um, change my view, you know, slowly that to really have gratitude, um, that, yeah, there was a lot of pain in my life, but there was tremendous abundance, um, and, uh, you know, and that, um, people had lost all around me, you know, that this is a, um, a sad part of the experience of being living. Um, and, you know, I I know someone in my community who um, suffered a loss. Her her daughter died after a few weeks. Her daughter lived a few weeks. And, um, you know, and I realized um, I could be useful. You know, I could say the things to her that nobody knew to say to me. Um, and that, that helped me as well. So, you know, again, being the service kind of helps me find my higher power. Thank you. I hope I answered your question.
0: Thanks, Linda. Okay, Jenny, your turn. Thank you.
4: (laughs) Thank you, Larry, and thank you so much, Melissa, for your story. And the previous um, question is a little bit where I was coming from also. It's about um, your grief and your recovery. And I've heard so many people say that they feel like the steps are for the food only, and you talked a little bit about how the steps I'd helped you with your grief, and I believe that the steps can help us with any problem that we're dealing with by admitting we're powerless, coming to believe that there's hope, turning our life over to a solution, looking at our part of it. Um, Can you talk a little, and some people believe that's not true. They turn to counseling or drugs, and that's okay too, but um, can you talk a little bit about if the steps helped you with your grief?
1: Yes thank you. Absolutely. You know, more than anything else, I did um, for a time, um, you know, right after I had lost my son, I did seek out grief counseling. Um, And, um, you know, it didn't, it helped me maybe a little bit, you know, it didn't do for me what the steps did. Um, I feel like the steps have, um, yes, allowed me freedom from the food, but, you know I utilize the steps in my workplace you know I have a conflict where I work, and the steps that helped me navigate that um difficulty with family members the steps that helped me with that there's there's like nothing um I, I mean, I just think these steps are incredible they have to be um a work of of a much greater power just the formation of them because um they apply to everything and um they they really have helped my group tremendously. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Jenny. Um, Good morning, Bria. It's your turn. Hey, Bria, press star one to unmute. Okay, maybe Bria is having some technical difficulties. Jan, are you there?
3: Hi, this is Jan C from Kentucky. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you so much for your lead. And thank you, I just wanna um, thank you so much for making recovery so attractive and so appealing. And I'm wondering about, one of the things that you said was your family, um, your siblings, I believe this is what you said, they're normal. They don't have this disease. Can Can you talk a little bit about what that has been like to be around family um who
1: don't share this disease, yeah, um, you know, thank you, Chan. I'm laughing because, um strangely enough, it seems like um my sister might actually have this after all, and um you know and um and so, in recent years, she's struggled and um and um and I can carry the message to her, which is incredible. You know, we've talked a little bit about program, you know, I, I've shared the 12 steps with her, um, you know, and, and, and the the spiritual principles by which I live. Um, you know, my other siblings, um, they don't know, they don't get it. Um, they like the results though. You know, I'm a different sister today. I, um, you know, we used to. I have two brothers that don't speak, um, and I used to get myself. and And I have a brother-in-law that's difficult, and I used to get myself right in the middle of this mess. You know, um, always with the, the 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 words that I was being helpful. You know, I'm going to tell everybody what they need to do. Um, I, I was crazy. You know, I got I got all, in all kinds of family scuffles, and um, you know, I stay out of I stay out of the business now of other people. Um, and, uh, you know, I know that my siblings like the results. I know, you know, my brother has, um, said to me that, um, you're the logical one here. You know, you're the one with the good answers. And, you know, I smile and I laugh because that's certainly, you know, being the youngest of five children, that was never my role growing up. I was always the one that was being told what to do, you know, and today to have something that... Um, I'm the one with the good answers. Um, you know, it's just—it's incredible. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Thank Jan. You. I'll
0: check. Thank you, Jan. Um, Bria, are you there? Okay. Well, if Bria comes back, she can jump in. Uh, anybody else have a question for uh, Melissa this morning? Carolyn S H. Okay, Carolyn. Anybody else? Okay, Carolyn. I'm sorry, did I hear Was that Jessica?
4: Martha (laughs) S.
0: Okay, I really botched that. Sorry, Martha. All right, we'll go with Carolyn, followed by Martha. Carolyn, good morning.
3: Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. Uh, Melissa, thank you so much for your story. Very inspiring. Uh, Carolyn S.H., a grateful recovered and compulsive eater calling from Massachusetts. And my question, Melissa, I'm wondering if you would talk about the actual process of the steps, like not walk us through the steps, but like what were the mechanics for you going from that state of hopelessness to the state of recovery? Like on a vision, how'd you find a sponsor? Um, did you do the steps in a, you know, a few weeks or a few months? When did a spiritual awakening happen for you? Like that kind of thing. Um, it would be, I think it would be uh, valuable for me and hopefully valuable for others as well.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny, the the woman that I had um, run into in uh, Lowe's that day in the home improvement store, um, she became my sponsor at that point, you know, Um, and um, although she had never listened um, to vision, but she knew that there were phone meetings and she had said something to me about Phone meetings. When I said um, that I couldn't um, get to that particular meeting that I knew her from, now I wasn't able to physically get there, my schedule had changed. She said, "Well, you know, there's phone meetings," and um, and so that's how I found Vision. But this particular sponsor um, um, has a really strong foundation in this book um, because she's also um, you know part of the AA fellowship, and it seems like. Um, they just traditionally have a much stronger than many o a um groups, uh foundation in the big book, so she's very comfortable in the big book and she had a really strong um, spiritual connection you know um and um and so for me, you know she guided me through um you know using um the big book uh you know you did use other resources as well, but most of um what I did was really through the big book, you know, somewhat through um, the OA 12 and 12 as well. Um, And, um, you know, and it was, it's daily work. It's getting up every morning. And that's how, that's what I, you know, suggest to my sponsors too, that um, I don't do assignments twice a week. You know, I don't do that for me. was like, I'm thinking that I could, um, you know, control this thing. For me, I need a daily reset button. So I, I do my work every morning. I get up um, and I do some step work every morning. And, um, you know, so she she guided me through the steps, you know, um, and um, I forgot what the other part was going to say. Oh, and how long it took me. You know, this was in, I started working with her. I ran into her, it was February of 2014, and, um, you know, by the summer I was um I was recovered, you know, um and uh and the the spiritual awakening, you know, I don't I can't tell you the exact moment when it happened, you know. Um, it, I just know it did. You know, it was like little by little it was that of that educational variety that they talk about in the back of the book. Um I had a few glimmers, a few quick moments that wait, you I mean, all God has to be right now is um, knowledge that I'm not it and I need something. That was like one level, you know, and then it was another level of, wait, I still want to live. I'm still breathing. I'm still moving. That could be God too, you know, just the desire, um, you know, I, and then it just sort of slowly, slowly happens for me. Thank you that I'll pass.
0: Thanks for the question, Carolyn. Okay, Martha, good morning.
1: Good morning.
4: Good morning. Thank you, Larry, for your service, and thank you, Melissa, so much for your story. This is Martha S. in Upstate New York. This is related to what you just said in response to the last question. If you're working with someone who's been in OA quite a long time and has relapsed multiple times, has already worked the steps with another sponsor, are there any uh, things that you do with them when you're first working with them that you would recommend um, or that has that you have found helpful? Anything in particular um, if you suspect maybe they're um, not quite on board with Step 3 or if, if They've had instruction in the big book or guidance through the big book, and maybe something was missing. Um, I, I tend to get a lot of sponsors who already have some experience, and it can be tricky figuring out kind of where they are at in the program. Thank you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It is really tricky, I think. And I think about my own experience. How, um, you know, every time I returned, um with the the too much intelligence. Like I felt like I knew too much. I resented um, wanting to restart all over again. Um, and when I work with someone that relapsed, my feeling is um, if you're picking up the food, we have to go back to step one. I mean, because just the act of, of putting the fork to your mouth is um, taking your will back, is... Is trying to to grab your own power from this thing, and um, you know one of the things that I found was very powerful and powerful for me was, um, you know, we gotta we gotta get a hundred percent food sober, like like get it real clear. And I had um, you know learned some things from Don C, um, you know about really identifying what your foods are and and Taking the time, make that list. What are your red light foods? What are your possible yellow foods? And what are your green foods? What are the foods that, you know, are really safe for you? Um, and what are the ones that are are never safe for you? And what are the ones that can be? And ultimately, when, when I start with somebody, we're only going to eat off the green list. Like, let's be real clear. Let's get ourselves 100% food sober. Um, You know, and I say, you know, if you're, if you're returning to the food, I don't, I don't think it's a step three problem. I think, um, you know, I I think it's a step one issue. I I always go right back. Um, And so when I work with someone, um, if they, if they return to the food, you know, I, I lovingly um, (laughs) remind them, like, we have to go back to the beginning again. We go back to the doctor's opinion. Um, you know, we go, we just start over again. Um, and, and remind ourselves that although we are looking, you know, to do this quickly because we want to be relieved, we want to do it correctly. And so um, there is no rush, you know, to do it if, if it's not thorough. Um, yeah, I hope I, 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 I hope that answers your question because I, I think sometimes it's easier to work with someone who's brand new you know, who has no preconceived notions, doesn't know the way that it worked for them before. Like, that's something that I hear a lot. Well, before, you know, it worked for me like this. And, you know, that's not true because it didn't work for you because here you are again. You know, and that's true for me. Every time I said, well, the last time I did it, I did this, and it worked for me. No, it didn't work for you because working for you should be permanent. You know, it it should be, um, yes, it's one day at a time, but the idea is for recovered, not recovering um, thank you I hope that's helpful I'll pass yes thank you very much
0: thanks for for the question Martha does anyone have uh, kind of a last call here question for Melissa
4: Kathy Kay
0: Kathy anybody else okay Kathy you'll be our last question for Melissa good morning
4: Thank you, Larry, for your service. Melissa, it was wonderful to hear you. I'm so glad I was able to listen this morning. And I want, since you've had such strong recovery, I wonder if you could tell us um, what you do on a daily basis to stay recovered. Thank you.
1: Yeah, great. Thank, thank you, Kathy. Thank you so much. Um, I. I get up every morning, um, and I begin my morning with a prayer, you know, I, um, I ask God to direct my attention to what, you know, have me be, um, I say the serenity prayer, I, um, ask God to show me how I can be of service today, who can I be of use today, who needs more love for me today, um. And, um, and I sit quiet for a moment and I really try to listen. Um, I do a writing every morning. Um, you know, sometimes just like what's on my head, what you know, come up for me. Um, and then I also look to the big book. I um, I study closely the big book, just like we're doing on a vision. Um, I read, you know, what it is that we're up to. I reflect on it. Um, I write about it. I, At that point, I write down exactly what I'm going to eat for the day, um, and I send that over to my sponsor. I write it out in a notebook, and I take a picture of it with my cell phone, and I text it immediately to my sponsor. Um, and then I respond to my sponsees. I get, um, you know, both texts and emails. I read um you know, what it is that they're what they've written to me, um, what they're working on. I write something back. You know, I usually find myself reflecting on exactly whatever step they're up to, excuse me, I um I reflect on that as well. Um yeah, and you know, and then throughout the day, you know, I pause. Um, I do a lot of pausing. Um, when I start feeling um, unsettled, you know, annoyed by things. Um, I have a fellowship, you know. I don't wear, I don't wear that fake smile anymore the way I used to. Yes, I put on my professional face. You know, I don't go and work um, looking anything but ready for my work day. But with my fellows here, I'm I'm real. So there are you know beautiful people on this line that I have a really strong connection with, and when something you know, causes me to feel unsettled or I have a question about, Um, I've lost my ego and I reach out and I ask for help. Um, And then I take it, you know, I I actually don't just ask for it and say, well, I know, like I listen and I try it. Um, Thank you. I hope that's helpful.
4: Thank you, Melissa.
0: Thank you, Kathy. And and thank you uh, to all who uh, posed questions this morning. Uh, for Melissa. And of course, again, thank you so much, Melissa, for sharing your experience with us. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to close with a reading from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask Him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.